You're listening to Boss Ladies and Babies with Mickey and Megan, two best friends adventuring through motherhood, building our careers, and and not losing losing our shit. Welcome back to Boss Ladies and Babies. This is Megan. And this is Mickey. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, everybody. Happy Oh, it's October, which means it's Halloween month at my house. <laughs> we Spooky are like, season. We are so into it. We've already watched Hocus Pocus. We got like a bunch of our decorations out today. I am so ready for fall and Halloween, which is it's like the little glimmer of excitement, even though we don't have to talk about trick or treating because that's probably not happening. I'm assuming, right? I know. I, yeah, I mean, I don't think we're going to if it does happen. Yeah. But yeah, we're excited for Halloween too. October is like probably my favorite month aside from December. But I just love, love, love this time of year. Um, but October is also Infant Loss Awareness Month. And that kind of sparked our topic for the episode this week. And it's really ironic I guess with everything that's happening with Chrissy Teigen going on on social media and just kind of like all the backlash that she's getting about being so vulnerable about it Mm -hmm. which is just like so upsetting that people are being so awful to her yeah it's such a heartbreaking time Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and she shares so much of her life in general and her like whole journey I didn't think it was that weird I mean weird for her to share that and it's super I mean like yeah vulnerable of her to do that I can't um, I can't just cannot imagine the kind of person that you have to be to negatively comment on people's stuff I know that like trolls are one thing but like that is some sick shit out there yeah it really is and I just really appreciate her being so open and honest and bringing so much awareness to a topic that you know needs to just be talked about a lot more because so many women just feel alone in this um and so that's why we are really excited to have this episode to kind of share awareness for something so vulnerable and important to talk about but before we get into it so just a warning you know this might be triggering for some people that are going to be listening so just a warning that is what we're talking about on this episode um we do have our guest is going to share her own story of loss so you know we really hope that you listen and that this is helpful um but if you do need to skip this episode we totally understand and we're just letting you know up front that's that's where we're going with this one yeah yeah good um okay well i guess let's get through our highs and lows before we bring her on um let's see i'll go (laughs) um (laughs) let's see my high um i think we'll i'm gonna go with i don't oh man i don't know it's been real stressful (laughs) over here so i'm like okay let's try to think of something good okay Okay, this will be my high, but it's it's a real complicated high. Um, <laughs> the schools announced that they are gradually going to start reopening. I don't think I talked about that last week. Um, it's still pretty new, but they're going to gradually start um, going hybrid. So it's the cl- the whole school is divided into like A group, B group. So they're only going for two days a week, half class sizes. So they'll be in a class with like 10 to 12 kids. Um, kindergartners are going back first and then they'll do 
first grade and second grade and like gradually add them all in. Mm-hmm. Um, which is exciting because my kids just learning remotely, they get the work done, but I don't feel like they're getting much out of it. Mm-hmm. Like they're especially my son no I mean he could skip kindergarten academically Mm -hmm. but like socially not he really needs the interaction and stuff so I'm excited because like a little bit of like okay we're like taking steps to get back into Mm -hmm. like real life like gonna get them out and it's not it is totally not about me wanting to get them out of the house because I'm so over that like yeah they can stay as long as they want like that's not an issue for me I'm so like used to it now I don't care about that (laughs) but for them like I'm excited for them to get that interaction and everything on the flip side I'm I mean terrified and my husband and I just keep going back and forth if like if this is even a good idea like why the hell are they opening schools when it doesn't seem like our rates are getting any better here like Mm -hmm. we didn't expect it to happen so soon and we thought things would be a lot better off before they decided to do that so um it's a real roller coaster over here for sure. I can't even imagine. Yeah, it's crazy. So we'll see. I'm trying to stay positive and just see how it goes. I've reached out to a lot of our boss lady mamas who have kids that have gone back to school to see kind of how that went for them. And I've really only heard positive things. So I'm, I, mean, I hope that's good. Or everyone's just so excited that their kids are back <laughs> at school that it's like, it's great. Yeah, it's like <laughs> mixed, mixed bag there, I'm sure. But um, yeah. yeah, so cautious optimism. Ugh. But um, I mean, that could really be my low too. But um, yeah. my low will be my dog. Um, he... Like, super long story short, he has um, a lump under his eye, like, on, I guess, his, like, third eyelid um, that I took him in for. It ended up, it came back as cancer. They don't know what kind exactly. Um, but he needs to go have surgery to get some teeth cleaned and pulled anyways. So the doctor is just going to go in and take the lump out as much as he can and see how that goes. But he has to get a blood test for his heart because... Yeah, yeah, it's a heart murmur now. It's just been like the biggest shitstorm of vet stuff for him. And right now with COVID, like you can't at our vet at least you can't go in the office with them. You have to drop them off. And my dog is not a social guy at all. Like leaving him there was traumatic enough for him. So I feel horrible. And now his eye lump is just growing. And so I'm just like stressing out about it. And he's like our first baby. He's 12, but like He's a healthy, he's a terrier. Like, he's still got some years left, hopefully. So, that's been stressful. Yeah, he's, like, laying on my bed right now. Yeah, so we'll see. I take him back in in, like, a week or so to do a blood test to check his heart. And then if that's okay, then they'll go ahead with the surgery. And um, hopefully that's it and they can get it all and he'll be fine. But we'll see. Just, like, I, I understand that dogs get cancer and lumps and that's not that weird and you know that's kind of a thing but on his eye like yeah that's really weird yeah I mean we've had dogs that have had stuff that just like grow and grow and grow and they've been fine until Mm -hmm. they're like super old or whatever but like it can't grow that much more it's gonna like bug his eyeball (laughs) so it's completely stressing me out and I keep forget like over exaggerating it in my mind that he has this like huge growth on his face and yeah it's not big right now but um but yeah 
that's been my low, just super stressful and worrying. Anytime something like bad happens or somebody gets bad news, it's just like all you can think is like 2020, like <laughs> right? 2020 at it again. Yeah. Like, I'm so sorry that you're going through that. It's just, yeah, man, too much. It's just too much at once. Like that would be hard anytime, but just like mm-hmm. on top of all the stress of COVID and the kids going back to school and, you know, just everything else. It's just like. Throw another shrimp on the Barbie. Yeah. Like, on, 2020. Oh, yeah. Man. I'm sorry. Yeah. Thanks. So I'll keep you all posted. Hopefully he'll be fine. But yeah, he will. Yeah. He will be. The strong guy. All right. Well, my high is I connected with this girl on Facebook. She is a, I didn't realize she was so young new blogger she's 19 and she wanted to have moms that were business owners come on and talk with her and then she's transcribing it into a blog post which I thought was really interesting and nothing that I've really ever done before so I kind of put myself outside of my comfort zone and scheduled a chat with her and it was it was really really fun she kept telling me like you know oh well you know, you're so much older than me. I look up to you as like a leader and all these things. And it was just like such a flattering and inspiring conversation. And I just like, I like blacked out. and was just like spinning like the best, like, in, like uplifting, just like, I don't know. It was, I went back and listened to it and it was just like, oh man, like, where did that come from? That sounds so good. Like, yes, girl. Yes. That's me talking about that. Okay, cool. It just kind of reminded me like the things that I'm doing are really important and, you know, everything that we're saying and doing is providing value and helping people, even if we don't realize it. And there's always somebody who is looking up to you and learning from you, whether you know it or not. And it was just like a really needed that I didn't know I needed reminder. And I was so happy to have done that and really flattered. And it was, yeah, it was a really good experience. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I can't wait to listen. I know me too. And yeah, it's actually just going to be all transcribed. We did it over Facebook. There was like no pressure because we did it over Facebook messenger. So she would like record voice record the question. And then I would voice record my answer and back Mm -hmm. and forth, back and forth. So that was cool. Cool. Um, my low is like kind of funny, but kind of not. So I don't know if I told you guys on here, like back in August, I think it was, I dropped a Costco size case of LaCroix, like basic bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I dropped a Costco size case of LaCroix on my foot, on the top of my foot and it hurt so bad it was like basically full I had only taken a couple out and I was like so it was like so painful I crumpled to the ground like crawled inside the house and like was screaming it hurt so bad I thought for sure my foot was broken and um it like didn't bruise as much as I thought it was or anything and it you know it was hurt to the touch but you know putting shoes on and stuff was painful but then I was able to kind of quickly get back to normal activity and just like it just kind of hurt to the touch And then the pain started going away and then the pain started coming back like Mm -hmm. very intense Mm -hmm. and like running was making it hurt. It hurts to the touch still, but it's like hurting up into my toes and like back into my ankle and it was like on the top of my foot. So I was like, oh my God, my foot is broken. Like I know it's broken. 
this can't be like I'm training for a half marathon right now. Like this can't be, this cannot be a thing. What am I going to do if I can't run? If I can't exercise, I'm going to lose my damn mind. So um, I went into the doctor. I really didn't want to, but I was like, I have to get this thing checked out because I know it's broken. And I kept putting it off like, oh, I'll do it after my long run. Oh, I'll do it after my hike. Like, but it just kept getting worse and worse. So I knew I couldn't keep putting it off. So went in, got the x-rays. It's not broken. So that's kind of like the high. However, the impact of the Costco size case of LaCroix, like so embarrassing. The doctor's like, oh, LaCroix. So the impact of that dropping on my foot triggered some kind of tendonitis Mm. in this tendon that goes along the side of your foot. So I now have tendonitis because I'm a klutz, basic bitch klutz. And (laughs) I have to wear like this huge obnoxious brace. And I have to take like these anti-inflammatories targeted to tendons and tendonitis. And yeah, that's what, that's what's happening. Luckily, I don't have to limit my activity and the pain is like a two or a three. Mm-hmm. So it's not unbearable. Like I could honestly be fine living with it for the rest of my life, just knowing it's not broken. Yeah. But it's still like, seriously, that happened. <laughs> Um, can we make you a sweatshirt that says basic bitch cluts? Because I like really love that. Yes, please. I would wear that and I would like represent it so well. My God. Well, I'm glad it's not broken. I know. I am too. Oh my God. It still sucks. I'm just like, really, man? Like that would happen to me. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yikes. Yeah. But all right. Well. We are going to get our guest on here. So as we kind of mentioned at the beginning of this episode, October is National Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. And so during the entire month, we take time to honor and remember those who have lost a child during pregnancy or lost a child in infancy. We wanted to bring on an old friend of mine who experienced the loss of her sweet girl years ago. It was tragic to witness the type of pain she had to endure, and I'm in awe every day of the strong and beautiful woman she is. Her story is beautiful and heartbreaking and so important for other women to hear. Please welcome to the show, Andrea Thayer. Welcome to the show, Andrea. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so honored you're joining us to talk about such a vulnerable topic, infant loss awareness. But first, before we hear your story, um, why don't you tell our listeners all about yourself, who you are, what you do, what makes you a boss lady, just tell us everything. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. Like you said, my name is Andrea. I'm 31 years old. I have one daughter that I like to say, you know, one earthbound daughter. She's alive with me here. I get to raise. Um, I've been married for five and a half years. I'm a, sh- a stay-at-home mom. I'm native to Washington, but spent a couple years living out of state. It was a great experience. Um, as for being boss, I don't know. I, I'm crafty. I like to do things. <laughs> I manage to keep house plants alive. I've got a really big collection of house plants. And That's a big deal. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I keep my child alive. I keep my dog alive and houseplants. Um, and then I like journaling, reading. I am pretty handy with macrame. That's been my quarantine craft. So, yeah. 
That's me. Awesome. Well, we're so excited to see you. I, everybody else, you can't see her, but she's beautiful. We get to see her beautiful face <laughs> while we talk to her today. And we're just, you know, like I said, really honored to have you on. So we're going to dive into the topic. And, you know, this can often be such a taboo topic that leaves so many women feeling alone. So before we really dig in, we'd first like to invite you to share your story with our listeners. Yeah. Um, when I was 21 years old, I found out I was pregnant and I was over the moon. I, you know, I had really bad morning sickness, um, but it was just the happiest time in my life. I was so excited. I was young. I was not married. My boyfriend and I had been together for a couple of years and loved each other very deeply. Um, but we were, you know, committed to the relationship and to having this baby and everything. And um, at about, oh, geez, 14 or 15 weeks along, I started spotting. And so we went, well, at first I called my midwife and they said, oh, just, you know, take the day off work and keep your feet up and rest. And so I did that. And the next day there was no spotting. But then the following day that I started spotting again once I started, I think I was vacuuming when I noticed it again. And so they said, okay, go, go in and get an ultrasound done. And I called my mom because, again, I was young and my needed my mommy, you know, <laughs> still do to today. But um, she drove down from where she lived, which was about 45 minutes to an hour away to meet me at the hospital and she was there with me and they did an ultrasound and found according to that ultrasound that there was some organs missing in our baby and so they suggested we go to a neonatologist and so the next morning we went to the neonatologist and they did an in-depth higher resolution ultrasound they said well the good news is your baby has all the organs there was just shadows they weren't able to see and the shadowing was caused by something called hydrops. And hydrops is um, fluid retention around two or more important organs. And in this case, she had, well, we also found out that it was a she at that appointment. <laughs> um, we found out that our daughter had uh, fluid retention around her brain, her heart, and the sac around her stomach. That held all of like her intestinal organs mm-hmm. and they said that that was associated with a slew of chromosomal chromosomal abnormalities and um so they did a um oh what is it called amniocentesis yeah the amnio- okay. am- mm-hmm. yeah sorry um they had to try three different times but after yeah it was really really painful <laughs> i remember <laughs> I had to like elevate my feet because I was like starting to pass out and stuff from the pain. Um, but they finally got the needle through um, and were able to do the withdrawal. And I had to wait like a few days not knowing what was going on. And I remember I was sitting at my mom's house watching Toy Story 3, trying to keep my mind distracted <laughs> when the doctor called to let me know that my baby girl had Down syndrome. And 
I, because it was kind of like, you know, oh, okay, like, I guess that's, you know, God's plan. That's mm-hmm. my, you know, that's what I'm doing. Because I have a second cousin who has a daughter who's my, I don't know, I think she's six years older than me that has Down syndrome. And so mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, this is genetic, you know, and they said, no, it's not. And with how young you are, it has nothing to do with, you know, the age of your eggs or anything like that. You're not predisposed. It was just a fluke. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I didn't know that babies passed away from Down syndrome because like mm-hmm. I said, I had a cousin who was older than yeah. me that had it. So I was like, okay, well then this is it. And then they said, and due to the swelling, she has about a 2% chance of survival. And um, they had suggested termination for the pregnancy. And I said, no, it's between, again, my higher power and my daughter. If she's going to make it, she's going to make it. If she's not, then I, it's my job to love her every second that I get to have her. Mm-hmm. So um, that started a whole slew of multiple times a week going in and getting ultrasounds and listening with the fetal Doppler for her heartbeat and stuff like that. And every single time it was good, you know, her, she was moving. Mm-hmm. I started to get to feel her kicking and all of these wonderful, wonderful experiences that, you know, I remember the first kick just vividly and um, just these beautiful experiences, even though my morning sickness completely persisted and I knew that she was sick or struggling that, um, it was just everything and I'd ever wanted and more. And so um, I went in for another routine ultrasound and I remember the tech kind of moving the little handheld thing around more and more. And she's looking and I'm like kind of waiting for that sound. And, you know, mm-hmm. and my mom was sitting with me and she just said, you know, <laughs> she said, I'm sorry, I can't find a heartbeat. And that was, mm-hmm like all she said and then she got up and walked out and I I remember turning to my mom and saying I felt her kick this morning mom like Mm -hmm. she's fine the doctor will come in and he'll Mm -hmm. find it I felt her kick really strong this morning and um so the doctor came in and he was looking through those you know the pictures she had scanned and he's trying to find a heartbeat and he said I'm sorry you know she's she's gone and I remember when they had been prepping me to um, for this reality. You know, they had said she has a two percent chance of survival. Like the she's, you know, it's it's a when, not if. Mm. And they had said, you know, then after she passes away, you'll have about a week until your body will naturally go into the, into labor because the hormones drop off and you're naturally going to go in. And I remember at that time going, "You expect me to carry her?" for a week after she has passed away like yeah. no get her out of me but this weird thing happened when um they told me that she had passed away where it was like over my dead body are you taking her from me like she's mine she's in me this is my baby girl you can't yeah. and so for a week and a half anytime I would have any cramping or anything like that I'd go and take a bath and try to relax and soothe out the cramping and everything. And so finally, my doctor called me one day. And said, you haven't gone into the labor naturally. I understand you hurt and you don't want to let her go. But you're ruining your chances for future babies 
mm. by opening yourself up for infection. Mm. So, um, so I had to go in and get induced, and I wanted to do all natural because I wanted to feel it and process it and not mm. have it just all of a sudden be she was gone. Mm-hmm. But my body wouldn't dilate, so I ended up having to have an epidural, and then my body relaxed, and I mm. delivered her. And the night I delivered her, I didn't want to hold her. I didn't want to see her. I was, I don't know. I just, I didn't want to. I couldn't bring myself to it. Mm -hmm. Then the next morning, the nurse came in and said, hey, you know, kind of a last chance thing. Like, we've got to process her. And so I held her. And... She was tiny because what ended up happening was there was um, her heart was undersized Mm -hmm. due to the chromosomal abnormalities. So Mm -hmm. her body slowed down to allow her heart kind of chance to keep up. But there's just a tipping point where her her heart couldn't sustain her body. And so so she was only like seven and a half inches and 13 ounces like she was just this tiny thing and she had passed away I remember just praying please let her get to 20 weeks just let her get to 20 weeks because in this I don't know if it's standard but in Washington state that's when it's considered a stillborn instead of just instead of a miscarriage and in my mind oh wow that that felt more like she existed you know like a no, and I know that's not true. Like I know I have, you know, friends that have miscarried at six weeks and their grief is the same. It's the loss of a potential child. I know people that have delivered at full term and there's been, you know, there's just a life loss is a life loss. There isn't. But in my 21 year old mind, right. it was validating. And so she made it to 20 weeks and five days. Oh, wow. Then... So she had just made it to where it was considered a stillborn. Um, and then I carried her till 22 weeks and five days. So straight two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but, there, you know, there's a lot of things through that that were great gifts that a lot of people don't get. Like I got answers. I knew what happened. I know why all that took place. I was able to have her cremated and I have her urn. Um, yeah, I, it just, it caused a lot of growth and young maturing and perspective and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a, a quick way to grow up. Yeah. But sure. I mean, like even like 31, you have 20 years and that, 20, oh, sorry, 10 years later, it still yeah. gives me anxiety. Like right now, I'm sitting there just like, ah. Yeah. Like it still makes my stomach hurt. Yeah. It's a lot, just even a decade later. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's the story <laughs> of Isla Noel. Mm-hmm. Thank, Thank you. you for sharing it with everyone. We really appreciate it. And I know it's a lot. So, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so if you could describe your life now in one word, what would you choose and why? You know, I wrote notes um, for this, this podcast and I had wrote progressing 
you know, because I'm nowhere near the person I was a decade ago, but really, I would, I, I would say thriving, um, because it's not just, I've, I've grown so much more than I thought, you know, if I were to, if I were to sit in my, next to my 21 year old self, where I was at and look where I am now, I would have never thought that I would have never thought that I could have come out of it or made it through. Cause honestly, I lost her like 10 years ago this month was when we found out that she had issues. It was the, Hall- the day after a Halloween party. Mm-hmm. And then I carried her and I delivered her, uh, delivered her on December 13th. So that's literally a decade. Right now is the time where, like, right about this time was when I first felt her kick. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this time of year is always marked by the mm-hmm. appointments and the things that happened then. Um, I can't believe that was 10 years ago. Oh, my goodness. I know. Like, I mean, I remember calling you. <laughs> just, yeah, like, I remember, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so to know, to know that I get to be a mom, that I get to have my two-and-a-half-year-old now, and that God gave me a daughter when I truly thought, that Isla was my only chance to have a daughter. Mm-hmm. When we had the gender reveal for my living daughter, <laughs> my mom was taking a video when they announced that it was my sister. And I, you know, we're cutting the cake and my husband and I, my sisters made the cake and my husband and I are sitting there cutting it. And uh, when I saw that it was pink inside, my mom <laughs> was taking a video and I just went blank. And then start smiling and laughing and you know Chris and I kiss and we're celebrating and stuff and when my mom stopped taking the video I went to the kitchen and I just sobbed because I didn't think I was going to get that chance mm-hmm. like I truly thought that Isla was my daughter and my one and only daughter so I it kind of cemented my belief in a greater grander design somebody looking out for my healing mm-hmm. you know yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, daughters are the most amazing gift. I mean, that's beautiful. I, mean, I don't have a son, you know. But yeah, no. <laughs> there's something different. So special about it. Yeah. So while we're kind of looking back on this time, and you know, just for anybody who might be going through something like this right now in the present can you think of a way that you wish your friends and family would have supported you in those first couple of years post loss um you know I was really really blessed with my friends and family and my support I there was times where they were like over supportive and I was like ignoring phone calls Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know I had my grandma I remember specifically sitting on the couch and her calling me and me just like I don't have it in me to talk um, I think that it would be really nice to have somebody be a news chain. You know, like if I could just tell my mom what's happening and then mm-hmm. she could do for me, you know, so that I'm not repeating it over and over again. That was, that was exhausting and made me feel really stuck mm-hmm. in that second. Um, I think, yeah, I think 
sometimes I, sometimes I need to be surrounded. Sometimes I needed to be alone. You know, I, and to have asked any more from the people around me would really have been kind of expecting them to read my mind because I, I didn't know what I was, what I needed. I didn't know what I wanted. I just kept existing. You know, like I was. Yeah, how could you possibly know? I mean, your world was shattered. Right. And so I think that it was more, it wasn't that I needed anything from anybody. Everybody was pretty good about validating, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, that you, of course you hurt. Of course you're broken. You know, like nobody was like, well, it wasn't full term or, you know, like nobody was like, like, you know. I had, I have one family member who she's very, very old. Um, and so really old timey. She had said that, well, it's okay that she went to be with the Lord because, you know, she would have lived in an asylum had she been born anyways. Because back when she was a child, mm-hmm. Down syndrome wasn't something yes. that was raised in the home. And I just remember, like, there was, I, I wasn't able to detach from it. I wasn't able to go, that's her reality and what she was brought up with. Mm-hmm. I took it very personally and was very angry and didn't talk to that person for a very long time until I realized that had nothing to do with me, had nothing mm-hmm. to do with the current situation. It wasn't malicious. It was just yeah. behind in times, maybe a little, it was ignorant and yeah, not, thoughtful yeah yeah not very compassionate right oh my gosh now what is one question that you wish people would ask you and one that you wish they wouldn't you know I I'm not a good person to ask on the wouldn't ask because Mm -hmm. I'm an open book book. you know I I imagine that a lot of people that have gone through it probably don't want to talk about what it was like coming home without a baby that would probably you know but for me again I talk pretty openly about anything um for questions that I wish people would ask even today I wish that people would bring her up you know Mm -hmm. that like I I get this like I get self-conscious every anniversary on something where when I want to post on social media, I get self-conscious. Like, am I still dragging this out? Are people like, holy crap, she was only 20 weeks pregnant. You know, like, mm-hmm. am I making it more than it was by still holding on to it now that I have a healthy, beautiful toddler, you know, like there's all that. Um, but I think that I think I would like for people to just say, what do you think it would be like if you had a nine and a half year old daughter right now? Or, you know, cause that's what she'd be. She'd be nine yeah. and a half, you know, that's, like that's yeah. nuts. I, and, but that, but I like living in that. Mm-hmm. What is hypotheticals? I like daydreaming and, you know, yeah. and so for people like cemented in reality, unlike my Pisces self, <laughs> like, that might be annoying. But for me, I would like, I like talking about her. I I like that she existed. I like who I am today because of her existence. So I think just 
continuing to not to not feel like I'm the only person remembering her. And I know I'm not. Like I have friends that'll still go, oh, uh, can't talk. That'll say, you know, I still have her hand and footprint. I carry it in my wallet, or you know, because mm-hmm. we had a bunch at her remembrance that we passed out to people. And like, there, I have like four different people that over the years have been like, I still have that in my rearview mirror of my car, or you know. And so, like that, just keeping her alive with me, I think, is what I would like. Yeah, I think on the that's really important to know because I think you know when somebody in your life suffers a loss, a lot of people feel like they want to tiptoe around that because they don't want to upset the person who did suffer that loss. And everybody grieves in different ways. So, you know, you feel this way, but somebody else might, you know never want to talk about their loss. And so I think it's important that you continue letting people know like, hey, this is okay. We can talk about her. It makes me feel good when we talk about her. So, you know, people can support you in that way and be there in that way without feeling like they're doing the wrong thing. I mean, there's, with grief, it's just, and loss, there's no wrong or right thing to do. And it's just so uncharted territory for so many people. I think it's just important to let people know. And I, I love that you said that. I think that's huge. Yeah. It's just, it's nice when like, you know, I mean, you've, there'll be times where you and I haven't talked in eons and you'll still send Mm -hmm. me on anniversaries and things. And I might not always be in the place to receive it, Mm -hmm. but it always feels good. Like for me, it always Um. like, and I think with the whole people not wanting to talk about it, you know, for me, it was, I mean, it hurts, obviously. Mm-hmm, and, of course. But for me, I've always been a communicator. And so mm-hmm. I think you can kind of, you know, I've had friends who have had horrible losses of all sorts. I had a friend who lost her husband. And um, and she was a pretty quiet, shut in kind of person anyways. And so mm-hmm. I just kind of took her lead, you know, and like let them, if she wanted to talk about him, then man, you dive in and you, you know, you get immersed in that conversation with them. And if they don't, then just sit silently and watch a movie or, you know, whatever. It's the person, just because they've gone through a loss, they're, it changes them, but they're not a different human. Mm-hmm. So if you're a close friend to them, you know how they operate. You know when, you know, stuff hits the fan how they're going to go Mm -hmm. just be there meet them where they're at in any way that you can I think so that they don't feel alone because I felt even with all the support I had I was 21 years old I had like gosh how many friends I think I had like seven friends who were pregnant at that time there was a a slew of a slew of us and all of them I, I felt completely alone. I mean, my own sister, we were three weeks apart in our pregnancy. Mm. She said, I didn't know how to be around you. I felt so guilty being around you, having my pregnancy. And that it, it kind of diseases the family, diseased all of us in my family. My sister had a hard time being happy about her pregnancy and celebrating her pregnancy, which I had no idea it was doing that to her. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, this is my niece, you know, like even mm-hmm. Oh, I lost my daughter. I was I was there in the delivery room when my niece was born, you know. And I think that there's just it 
it trickles out in such weird ways and different people handle it differently. And it, I think it, it's just one of those things where you just got to communicate, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the person that's in the grief doesn't know how to do that. I can tell you right now that it has to be somebody on the outside because the person sitting there in the pain mm-hmm. doesn't even know how to move their tongue, you know, like it just yeah. everything is too bad. Yeah. And I think it's okay on the outside to ask somebody, you know, is this okay? Is this okay to talk about what, you know, not even what do you want me to do? Because that might be too broad of a question. Be specific. It was was burdensome when somebody would say, you know, how can I help? I'd just be like, I don't even know how to help me. How do you expect me to tell Mm -hmm. somebody else what to do? You know, like it was just such a weight. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just being transparent with them. Like an, there's this thing that I've learned where you don't say, you know, are you okay? Because then that makes them realize that they're not. Mm. But it's like psychology, you go, what are you thinking about? You know, and so it's not saying like, oh, you know, are you okay? Yeah. What do you think about? And that just lets them go. And and being okay if they say nothing, you know, because <laughs> right. they don't always care. You know, I use that same analogy or that same trick with my husband, you know, like, Mm. <laughs> they're temperamental so you just yeah. kind of, okay <laughs> dealing with people in grief is one of the trickiest most unnatural things that the human comes across you know like you just don't know how to be there for somebody when they are mourning the loss of something which is so crazy because every single one of us goes through some sort of loss in life. You think that somewhere along our evolution, that would become like a natural skill that we have. I think that the only evolutionary connection to that would be that community mm-hmm. would be that there's that societal group there. Like my mom has always referred to me and my sister and her and her, my aunt and stuff, or a tribe. And mm-hmm. that's true. You know, like that's, that's my little my group and they we rally together whenever something is struggling or whenever one of us is struggling so so how would you say you've integrated your loss into your everyday life now um I one I try to keep I try to honor my first daughter you know, I just try to keep her memory alive. Um, but I get to appreciate being a mom to my daughter, Lucy. I, you know, and um, with, with having experienced infant loss, I have been able to be there for people that didn't know that other people experienced it. You know, when I lost Isla, I didn't know that that was even something that was possible. You you know, at that age, somebody gets pregnant, nine months later, they have a baby, you know, mm-hmm. maybe they don't find out they're pregnant until they're four months along and they five months later, they have a pregnancy, but they always have a, ba- a pregnancy leads to babies, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so I, so a lot of pregnancy loss has come out came out of the woodwork while I was going through that and I wish that I would have known that existed before Mm -hmm. so I wasn't so Mm shell-shocked um so I with 
my everyday life, I try to be pretty transparent and that that's something that I've gone through so that I've had people reach out to me saying, hey, I'm having scares in my pregnancy. And I know that you had scares in your, you know, and I, and I'll, I'll pray with them. I'll talk through them with my experience. I'll, you know, suggest certain tests that they can run because I went through them, you know, um, and I'll, I know all the stats. I know the statistics of things. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, they, I try to just, just be available to others so that they don't feel like they're alone. I, um, I have done workshops at a church several years ago that I, it was like a trying to conceive and infant loss group. It was a weird mesh because that was like people with all these hopes of future pregnancies and then all these people yeah. like, oh, you know. Oh, but, it was uh, not combined. Like, it wasn't it was really. No, no, it was a combined group. It was the weirdest oh, yeah. thing. Um, <laughs> like I I was like this is a little dismal and like but it gave those people that were trying to conceive like it's like that whole idea of like don't test until you're a week late don't do the five days before your pregnancy your period's supposed to show up test because like 50% of pregnancies go away by your first period (laughs) you know like they didn't reabsorb or they didn't implant properly so there's you know things like that that um so just kind of guiding people into like don't set yourself up for mental failure you know yeah it makes sense weird yeah but just trying i don't know i integrate i it's a huge part of me it was the biggest loudest boldest written chapter in my life Mm -hmm. so it redefined the rest of the book and there's no ignoring it. And I wouldn't want to. But everything I do, everything, even when I get mad at Lucy, she's two and a half and just definitely two and a half. And yeah. definitely my child. <laughs> so she it tries me daily. But I think I'm able to take just a half a second longer breath before I react. Mm-hmm because of the appreciation of her existence. I know every decent mom loves their child and tries to be their best for their child and everything like that. But I truly do. And I'm not saying I truly think I'm a better mom. I'm just saying I'm better than I would have been. Mm-hmm. It's not in comparison to any other mom. It's compared to who I would have been had Isla not existed. I'm a better mom to Lucy for sure. Oh, goosebumps. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what I was going to ask you is um how has your view on motherhood changed since having Lucy? Oh, it's just the greatest gift on earth. Um <laughs> like truly, I it, Yeah, I just I can't even get over it. It I will sit and stare at her monitor and just watch her and just in awe of her existence. Um I have a greater appreciation for her existence Mm -hmm. and and I had a really really horrible mentally exhausting pregnancy with her not because of anything other than my loss of Isla Mm -hmm. um 
and I had pelvic pain and some morning sickness and, you know, like things like that. But yeah. I was diagnosed with postpartum or I was diagnosed with PTSD through mm. my pregnancy. How um, could you not be? I, I mean, be I was, yeah. I was an anxious, complete, depressed wreck. And it didn't help that I, you know, I've suffered and battled uh, anxiety and depression since I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, but I was terrified of having any chemicals in my body when I got pregnant with, uh, with Lucy. So I got off my antidepressants and mm. that started a pregnancy where it triggered every single fear I had bottled up for seven and a half years, yeah. you know, and my midwife finally in my third trimester said, look, sweetheart, I really applaud your efforts, but for your mental health, the safety of your future for your daughter that's in you. And for any chance of success, you need to get back on an antidepressant. And it made me feel like, and I told her, that makes me feel like I'm failing. She says, that's because you're depressed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So I got, I mean, seriously, my midwife was a godsend. She was just the greatest gift to my pregnancy. I, I could call her after hours and just sit and talk with her. And she was like, sponsor through pregnancy um but yeah so my pregnancy was horrible and when I delivered I had a different midwife when they put Lucy on my stomach like I couldn't even look at her I had my eyes closed I'm so they're just like tears like spraying out of my eyes that are squeezed shut and then I said does she have is she okay does she have all of her fingers and her toes but you know like does she is she okay yeah. And, you know, I can hear her crying and, you know, my mom's like, oh, she's beautiful. And my husband came and he got real close to my ear and he said, sweetheart, she's absolutely perfect. She's okay. Look at her. And I looked at her and, like, my world just shifted. Like, it was just everything. And so the midwife that delivered her wasn't my midwife through the process because she was off shift and stuff. Mm-hmm. My midwife, after she got me all stitched up and everything, went out and read my file because she could tell there was something different about my delivery with her. And she came back in and she was I knew it. I said, what? She, I saw all that healing that happened the second you looked at her. Your heart is whole again and it has been oh. broken. And I, I didn't even know that. Like, I didn't even think about the amount of healing that would take place having my daughter placed on my chest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had told my mom a couple weeks into motherhood, you know, I, I am crippled by postpartum anxiety. Like, I had the worst postpartum anxiety. I had, like, a little monitor on her, monitoring that she was breathing 24-7. Like, my family members were making fun of me, like, <laughs> let her sleep like, no, she has to, like, I didn't sleep unless Chris was staring at her. Like, it was just, I had to have windows open because I had to have fresh air coming through because something, like, it was, it was weird. I mean, there's already normal, like, quote, quote, normal right. postpartum anxiety, but then put on top of that, the loss. Right. Oh, my goodness. Like, I, can't I was imagine. terrified of kids. And, um, but there was still just this absolute glee and giddiness. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, I would be about to just start sobbing from hormones and fear but I'd be like smiling at her (laughs) my mom said I said you know I didn't even realize that I was still broken after living through seven and a half years 
of not having Isla. I didn't, I just had kind of gotten used to that hole. I had gotten used to the fact that in my mind, my body was broken, that mm-hmm. it had failed me. And so then to have Lucy and to have her be just brilliantly perfect. I told my mom and she said, there's some scripture and I'm going to misquote it because I'm not good at reading the Bible, but it's something about like a, a longing. No, hold on. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. A longing fulfilled is the tree of life. Mm. And it was just this, the, it, the hope deferred that, you know, like I had wanted to be a mom since I was like four and had my first <laughs> dolly. You know, like I always knew I wanted to be a mom. I was always the nurturing one in my friends. I was, you know, like and I, um, and so then when I was so close to being a mom and I, you know, lost that opportunity, mm-hmm. it was just heart sickness. It was just this existence of waiting to, for that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like that longing fulfilled is the tree of life. And like, that, it was just my life truly took off and blossomed the second I was able to mend that brokenness in me. And I wish that I could have done that on my own independently and that it didn't hinge on the birth of my daughter, you know, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. for me, that's what it took. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you've discovered many gifts along the way from your suffering and, you know, if you could share a few of those, you know, that kind of touches a little bit, you know, I think just the appreciation for your daughter and, you know, what else would you say would be a gift from that suffering? So definitely appreciation, but um, perspective, mm-hmm. the greatest gift I was given is perspective. I keep talking about my mom because she was the one that was really, really there for me through all of it, mm-hmm. but um She had told me, Andrea, if money can fix it, it's not a problem. And as I'm in the loss of, you know, in waiting to lose my first child, as I, you know, know that it's imminent. Yeah. And I said, Mom, you know, I can't fix this. I I can pray. I can have hope. I can have all of these things. And it's not going to, you know, like she's already formed. I'm not, you can't pray for all of a sudden her chromosomes to be different, you know, right. like, and, um, and she said that if money can fix it, it's, it's not a problem. And it's true that at 21 years old, that was the first time in my life that I ever actually had a real problem. Mm. And since then, I mean, and I'm not saying I lived a blessed life before that. Like I had issues, I had things that happened, mm-hmm. but that was the first time that money couldn't fix it. It wasn't, temporary it wasn't just a bad day and um and so I've had bad days since then I've had stresses I've had I've had heartache I've had other losses since then but to know it's kind of like my radar like it doesn't hurt as bad as losing a child nope okay then I'm fine you know (laughs) a cold way of looking at it but like yeah. <laughs> it really does it's like it pales in comparison so like 
pull yourself up by your boot straps and carry on, you know, like, this is discomfort, not pain, (laughs) you know, like after giving birth, you can give birth, you can get a tattoo, you know, like, it's just (laughs) the same sort of thing, just emotional. (laughs) (laughs) So perspective is definitely the greatest thing. And, and a decade later, able to still really see that. And I know that I'll be, you know, I'm gifted the age of, or to be able to age to 80, I'll still hold that as a, mm-hmm. a gauge. Yeah. So, yeah. How would you say your loss has changed you? Um, for a long time, I was just really broken and bitter. And I didn't, like, I'm, a pretty happy-go-lucky person, even though I've battled anxiety and depression. You know, I'm still genuinely a pretty optimistic person. And in that, I couldn't be. I couldn't have hope. I couldn't have anything. Um, Mm. And so I think through getting through that to being able to have hope again and be able to heal and grow, it made me stronger. It made me um, more empathetic to other people struggling Mm -hmm. because it was the first time that I had faced something that I learned other people went through, (laughs) you know, like it wasn't like, oh, I've got crappy parents or, oh, my boyfriend, I don't know, 21, my boyfriend gained too much, (laughs) you know, like, um, but it, yeah, it made it made me go oh my gosh there's actual suffering in the world that sucks like you know and and it was humbling because like that was another thing that it made me a more humble human being to go all right it was science my body didn't split eggs (laughs) you know dna properly like there was no it wasn't my fault it was not my fault that my body did that i am not my body my body is the shell that carries me. Um, and, but my, my shell isn't perfect. And that's hard. And it, yeah. Well, and it's done that even, you know, postpartum, like with, mm-hmm. you know, like allowing my shell to be saggier and softer and more stretched out than it had been before pregnancy, you know, like just allowing your, your human body to be human and flawed. Um, I think that that was something that was not shown to me. My mom was always like a size two. She was a Mary Kay consultant. You know, she was always, her hair never had any grays. She was always just pretty and perfect. And, um, and then my older sister is a complete perfectionist as well. You know, there's both just women, you know, just perfectly <laughs> the definition of women. And so then here I come and I'm like, you know, going, oh, great, I can't even do pregnancy right. You know, it was kind of my mindset. And then went, you know what, have a little grace, give yourself some grace, allow yourself the permission to be human and be flawed. Mm-hmm. And even if it hurts you, like, who would think that your own body could, like, betray you like that, you know, mm-hmm. like, so it's a lot to get through. But it, again, has it's made me stronger, it's made me, I think, nicer (laughs) for a long time it made me colder and meaner and harder and all of those things but Mm -hmm. to 
be a decade past. I'm nicer. <laughs> I'm warmer. I'm softer. <laughs> That's good. What about relationships? You know, how has it changed your relationships? Has it affected your marriage? Yes, it has affected my marriage. Um, like I had said, it was an ex that I had lost Isla with. Um, and my husband and I, like I knew when he and I started dating at 23, I was like, I'm going to be a mom. If that's not, if you don't want to be a dad, then toodles. Because, you know, like then we're not men. <laughs> and he was like, no, I, you know, that's something I want. I was like, okay. And so then, we, you know, a year and a half, two years later, we get married. And like six months later, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to start trying to get pregnant. Like this, you know, and he's like, well, hold on, you know, we're 25. <laughs> like, I'm not quite right there yet. And I'm like, no, I've known since like I was there. I was, you know, so close just like five years ago. Like I'm ready mm -hmm. now. I've been waiting for five years. And so there was, there was fight. There was, you know, a lot of me trying to like will him to, it's like, like in Bruce Almighty when he's like trying to will Jennifer Aniston to loving him, he's just like, ah, like, I want to have a baby right now. Like it was that same like ridiculousness. Um, it, I know that in with just outside relationships, like that I've had people afraid to tell me they were pregnant. Mm -hmm. um, I had and like. Yeah, and then people will tiptoe around things with me, and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm not a broken, fragile, like, little china cup, you know, like, I'm, mm. I'm more like stoneware. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I like think that. my husband is the relationship that, it, like, with my marriage is the relationship that affected the most. And, like, he knew me before, we've known each other since we were 15 and truly I think one of the things that made me so drawn to him was that I was eight. He didn't treat me like 21 year old Andrea. Mm -hmm. He taught, he treated me like that, you know, he didn't treat me like I was the broken, just lost Isla Andrea when we came together. He treated me like the girl he's known since he was 15. That, and it was really, nice to not be treated like I was broken. Yeah. Side note, I can hear that Chris has taken Lucy out of the crib. I can hear them in the living room and I don't know why he allowed her to get up. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that. What are they doing? Oh yeah. You can edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> So, what is your biggest trigger, and what helps you cope when it hits? Uh, pregnancy was my biggest trigger, um, and and anniversaries, like you know that we're coming up on anniversaries for several years. Mother's Day was a horrible trigger because I was like, people would be like, "Happy Mother's Day, Andrea," and I'm like, "I'm not a mother." <laughs> you know like shut up stop trying to cater to me you know like I don't know what diaper changes and sleepless nights and breastfeeding is like you know like I'm not a mother like that was my thing like it was people would say you know like oh you're a mom you've loved like a mother and I was like 
Yeah, but I haven't gotten to experience it. You know, like I'm like, I know I now I know I want to be a mother really, really badly, but I wasn't a mother. Um, and so Mother's Day was a really big one. But um, pregnancy was really, really, really hard. Um, and yeah, it's just anniversaries. Like I just kind of go into this little like, mm. like the first anniversary after I lost her. Or no, the first anniversary of her delivery after Lucy was born. I sat on the phone with my sister and cried for like two hours. And like when we first got on the phone, she's like, do you want me to come over? Because she lives like 10 minutes away. She's like, do you want me to come over? I'm like, no, I just need to cry at you for a minute. And like two hours later, she was like, you know, I could have been there holding you this whole time. I was like, I'm fine. But um, she, it was just this weird, like it made me feel really crappy. Like I'm sitting here with this beautiful, healthy child and I'm mourning the loss of one from years ago. Like, you know, it just made me feel like, just be appreciative of what you've got, you selfish jerk. You know, like there's just this, and I like, and again, that's where you learn to like give yourself some grace, you know. But like, it was just, it. I wasn't expecting to be sad ever after Lucy was born. Was a real, you know, ignorant idea. Like just didn't know any better. But really, it it kind of almost amplified it, like because I had been kind of numb to it for a couple of years and that was just that was my existence and then Lucy was here and it was like oh my gosh like the idea of two kids or I'm missing out on you know like if she could have she has an older sister and like how much do you tell Lucy mm. and I, you know I, I am an open book I do want her to know the existence of her older sister even and then that opens up a whole nother can of worms of like with a different daddy you know <laughs> like, oh, wow. like there's just so many layers to it but like I would hate god forbid she goes through something like that I would hate for her to feel like she doesn't have anybody around her who understands mm-hmm. you know and to then be like oh by the way I've gone through that and she'll be like well why didn't you tell me, you tell me yeah yeah but, so it's just yeah. there's yeah no I mean that that like leads us right into the next question of just you know what do you want the world to know about pregnancy loss and life after loss it happened (laughs) you know like it Mm. truly I didn't know it was a thing like I mean I was homeschooled the year we did sex ed so maybe I just like I don't know if that's something that they teach about in school I don't think so i I don't, yeah. Sex leads to pregnancy. Okay, but what can pregnancy lead to? Mm-hmm. You know, like there's so many more than just you're told you're either going to have a baby or you're going to put it up for adoption or you're going to abort it. Those are your three options. No, it could also be taken from you for a myriad of reasons. You know, like mm-hmm. it. there's so much more to it than like, yeah, that it happens. I didn't know it was a thing and that felt so isolating so Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm like and I don't because it is so taboo people like I remember when I would meet people who are pregnant or like as a hairstylist I'd have customers who are pregnant and they say oh do you have kids and I would Mm -hmm. just 
clam up. I did, and it wasn't because it hurt so bad. I didn't know how to tell them, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to like rain on their parade because it's such a tab. You know, like I'd be like, um, I just found myself saying no because I don't want to. Like I know the joy of pregnancy, and I don't want to take that joy from people. You know, by filling them with fear of what of losing a pregnancy. So like you don't know. I don't know at what point you educate somebody on that. Like, it, you know, I don't think people know until like, honestly, don't really know until they either have experienced it or even when they're pregnant already and then start thinking about the what ifs and then they start hearing right. these stories. It's not it doesn't seem like it's before at all. Right. Like, there's no way to like graciously, kindly, gently, softly say hey, just so you know, when you get pregnant, if you choose to have children in the future, if you get pregnant, there is a chance that it could pass away at any point. You know, like, how do you say that? Yeah. Like, it's not, you know, you and you when you have your first, I think, like, your first OB appointment, they'll say, like, oh, you know, like, do this, this, and this, because a third of miscarriages happen in the first trimester. You know, like you are, I think you're kind of told that that can happen, mm-hmm. but it's not. And like, you you know, by living life, you can see like, oh, there's people with Down syndrome out there. There's people with handicaps and malformations and things like, so, you know, but I, I feel like there's almost like just like a mental block that doesn't mm-hmm. allow you to like process that that could be a baby inside of you, you mm-hmm. know? Right. So I, I don't like, I want people to know what happens without just raining on them it is important because and I remember being pregnant even going through like okay what kind of genetic testing do you want to do like while yeah. you're pregnant and even then when they're like giving you all these statistics and stuff you're still like or at least I was like imagining okay these are the things that could go wrong like wrong or different right. you know um but I, I don't think I ever would have considered not having a baby at the end of that. Like, you wouldn't, right, that I is, wouldn't have thought right. that some of those things could end up being, like, fatal. That's not, and I feel like they don't do a good job of letting you know that either. Right. No, and I feel like, like, you could, you know, you go, okay, so my child could have a hole in their heart. Okay, well, there's neonatal surgeries, you mm-hmm. know, like, that's. You right. think you just have your faith in medical science and, you know, that they'll be able to just they fix that. Well, yeah. sometimes they can't, you know, like there's, I have, I know of women who have lost their babies, you know, had SIDS or born with defects and born with, like, I have a friend who the baby aspirated the meconium and had pneumonia and by the grace of God, the baby was perfectly fine after a couple of weeks in NICU. But that's not the case for everybody. You know, like, that's just where the infant loss, is, you know, one in four is their, like, slogan is, you know, one in four experienced mm-hmm. it. That's 25% of the women. That's, you know, that's an eighth of the population experiences it. And yet we all still feel alone. You know, like we still are all taken by taken, you know, by shock with it. Like we, none of us are like, oh, well, we knew that this was a possibility. Yeah. You know, like mm. I don't know, crazy. So. 
An- another part of that I wanted to bring up. It's also interesting because I know a lot of women wait to disclose that they're pregnant to people because of that risk of miscarriage. And I was like, well, if that happens, is that just, you're like, you're not going to tell anyone? And then everyone's just suffering in silence, like with alone, like that it'd be nice to break out of that mold and not make that such a taboo hush hush thing. That's one of, you know, like, I remember, I remember my mom being mad that when I was like, I was like six and a half weeks pregnant when I announced to everybody that Isla existed, you know, like the second I found out I like confirmed pregnant from the doctor, mm-hmm. I like announced it. And my mom, apparently she never voiced it to me, but apparently she had been like, annoyed that I alerted everybody that early because I was, you know, I was raised very Christian. I was an unwed young mother, you know, and, um, but then I, years later, she had was talking to me about it. And she said, you know, I remember being like, you should wait until you're 13 weeks. And then she's like, but then Andrea, at 15 weeks, yeah. you found out that there was something wrong, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, the, what, what, what matter or what, difference what it has made you know and I and I am so glad that people got to know she existed for as long as I knew she got to exist mm-hmm. you know and and I I understand you know for a private it's a personal choice but for a more private person sure if you don't want people checking in on you and seeing how you are then fine to go through it by yourself you know but like for me I I choose for me personally, I choose to honor that. And, you know, I, if my husband and I tried to have another child, I mean, I was very open about the fact that we tried for two years to be able to have Lucy. And, um, you know, and then my, and my mom was like, you know, by people knowing they were trying to get pregnant, she was like, pretty much you're just announcing that you're having sex. So I was like, well, we're married. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so awkward though. like oh, I know what you were doing right oh you know but uh but it was that you know if I if something came up I wanted my tribe you know because there were times where I was like a week late and mm-hmm. I'd get you know, like oh maybe it's the time and then nothing would happen and I'd be like and now oh, I'm disappointed and let down Thank God I'm not alone in it, you know? Like, I, that, that, again, that's me personally. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's so very if, thing. if there was one thing that you could tell someone suffering from the loss of a child, what would it be? <sighs> that I know it hurts and they're not alone. And that time is the greatest gift you can give yourself. Um, that my mantra to myself was just keep my heart beating and my lungs receiving oxygen. Mm. Just keep myself alive. If that means that I stay in bed for three days and don't eat and don't, you know, whatever, then that's what I do. I just knew, I just knew I had to get time to pass. And, you know, like I, I mentioned a friend who had lost her husband. I, I told her the same thing. I said, this is the shittiest chapter of your life. I can't even imagine I'm losing my spouse after losing 
the pregnancy. I still couldn't imagine losing my spouse. And the only thing you can do in loss is just get time to pass because that pain doesn't go away. You get used to it. You get to a point where it kind of loses its raw edges and finds more of a comfortable, it melts into you more comfortably and just sits with you. Mm. And and you have to allow yourself that amount of time. And it's different for everybody. But you that it's okay to get angry. It's okay to have any emotion. You're allowed. I mean, there was things where, there was days where I felt relief. You know, again, I was 21. The idea of raising a child with Down syndrome, like there was not a single part of me that was like, oh, good. But there was days where I was like, that would have been a lot. That would have, you know, like that would have been really hard. Like I didn't even have health insurance. How on earth am I, you know, I was on state insurance through that. Like how, you know, and so just, I think for people that are going through it, give yourself grace, give yourself time and allow yourself to feel the emotions. Don't try and numb it. You know, I know that there is so much, there's so much out there that you can do to numb yourself. And um, like my sister had bought me a bottle of wine after I lost Isla. It's kind of, you know, like you buy people wine when they've given birth or champagne or, you know, something. I'm like, ah, you haven't been able to drink in nine months. And, um, and she kind of done it. It was just kind of like, like, well, hey, you know, trying to mm. be cute, I guess. And it sat on my counter for a month. And finally I gave it to a neighbor because I knew if I drank that bottle of wine, I was going to keep drinking and keep drinking and keep drinking because I knew if I tasted relief, mm. it was going to consume me. And so I just didn't drink. I couldn't drink because I knew I needed to feel the pain. I needed to process it. It wasn't masochistic or anything like that. It was just mm. allowing myself to be raw. And I think that that was one of the greatest gifts I gave myself. And so that's something, you know, to be present in the emotions. And so that's something that I have talked to people about. And I know that a lot of people go, <laughs> that's stupid. I'm going to drink my face off tonight. You know, mm-hmm. like, I, I totally get that. Like, yeah, if I knew that I could drink my face off tonight and then not drink my face off for the rest of the night, then, you know, but I didn't trust myself. So just knowing that it hurts and allowing it to hurt as long as it needs to and giving yourself permission to feel, I think is really important for people that are in that loss. Yeah. I think that's so well said. I mean, we're in a society that just everything is, I can do this. I can get through this. I don't have time to, you know, feel, or I'm, you know, not going to be weak. I'm going to push through this. And it's so, it's just, not natural to let ourselves have that and to give ourselves that permission. I think that's so important. And it's probably one of the hardest things that we can do as humans is to really just sit back and be in pain. I think it's against our survival instinct. You know, mm-hmm. I think that we're, we have to be strong and cause the, you know, the weak don't last, but there is, we are not cavemen anymore. If you know, mm-hmm. 
majority of people sitting in their homes, not everybody sadly, but the majority of people sitting in their homes are safe. You're allowed to let your guard down. You're allowed to be sad. You're allowed to be weak. Mm-hmm. And you know, when your body, your body will let you know, <laughs> you know, you can't not cry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you don't, you know, let yourself feel that pain and that grief at that time, it's going to come up throughout your life in all different kinds of ways. It's, you're going to have to face it eventually. Definitely. It'll manifest itself much uglier later. <laughs> it's just like a little monster growing. Yeah. <sighs> awesome. Well, I, Really, really, really appreciate you talking with us and our listeners about this. I hope that anybody who is going through this kind of loss right now can take some of what Andrea has to offer and use it to help you get through this. We really, really appreciate it. And so we're going to wrap up on the topic. But before we let you go, we do want to kind of lighten the mood a little bit. And check in with you about these little moments that we have in our lives that can be oh so messy. And so in this segment, we ask our guests to share their hot mess moments. So what do you got? (laughs) Oh, let's see. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, my two and a half year old, we have a very uh, carpeted house. And I got a little cute potty for her to be able to sit on and she's sitting on it. And I got one of those like waterproof mats under it off Amazon so that she can, you know, if she slides off the toilet, any, you know, and so that she won't pee all over the carpet. And I um, have been like forcing fluids in her trying while she's sitting on the toilet, trying to like, come on, pee on the toilet. Come on, you'll get a Barbie if you pee on the toilet. Eat <laughs> Just do it. And uh, she drank all her juice and she says, you know, mine, more juice. Okay. And so I walk 20 feet away from her into the kitchen to go get her more juice. And as I am filling up her cup, I hear her do this panicked little like ah, squeak thing. <laughs> and I turn around to my little naked gem of a human running and peeing all the way that 20 feet to me. Oh, Apparently... The idea of peeing on a toilet scared her, so she started to hear it, like like reverberating off her little toilet. She panicked, jumped off, and comes sprinting to me while not having the bladder control to like stop peeing. So she just (laughs) all the way across the entire room, and it was very, it was like one of those moments where I like I really thought that I had figured it out. Like oh, she's got this waterproof mat. Matt, she's got her toilet. She's got her favorite cartoon. She's got a bowl of M and M's next to her. Like she's not gonna get up for anything. Yeah. Like I really was like patting myself on the back, and that was very humbling. I spent an hour and a half with my Resolve bottle just spraying oh. down straight line. Scrubbing. <laughs> it was, and it was like eight o'clock at night, so I couldn't like go and like just call my sister and be like, "Hey, do you have a carpet cleaner or something?" It was, yeah. it was rough. I bet humbling. that's an image you'll never get out of your head, though. Like, I have that image in my head now. Just a little cute naked baby it running across so the room. It really, really was cute. She's just, like, this little, like, she's not, like, she's all skinny now. Because, like, she was a fat little baby, but now as a toddler running around, 
she's so skinny and she's got a little butt and she's just like panicked all naked she's like ah! <laughs> i can't wait to tell her future boyfriends <laughs> oh, thank you for sharing that of course yeah thank you guys so much for having me i hope that everything i said you know i've been kind of meditating on this trying to make sure that what i say through this whole thing has you know it, that it's able to hit people's hearts properly that it lands well i don't want to say anything that would have offended anybody um everything i said was with the best of intentions and strictly my experience i know that everybody experiences this completely differently um but if anybody would like to reach out to me i have my experience that I can share, my hope. Um, but so you can reach out to me on Facebook at just find me on at Andrea Thayer, P H A Y E R. Perfect. We'll tag you too. So Perfect. if you're listening, you can go back to the post and you can just go to Andrea's page from there. Um, I, I think everything you said was beautifully said and so, so helpful. So I, you did a great job and just for being so vulnerable and coming on here and talking to people. We really, really appreciate it. I think that's one of the gifts that I was given through this is that I can share it with others. Mm -hmm. Makes her stay alive. It keeps her memory going. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah I like that. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Andrea, so much. Right. And everyone else, we will see you next week. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Boss Ladies and Babies. If you like this episode, be sure to rate, review, and leave us some feedback. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and join the conversation in our Facebook group at Boss Ladies and Babies. And until next time, stay, stay bossy. bossy.